Good evening, good afternoon, good morning, or whenever you happen to be listening to this. Welcome to the Film Realist Podcast, the film and TV podcast from a complete nobody that is hopefully for somebody. I am lucky today to be joined by now returning guest of the show. That is Kofi Outlaw of comicbook.com. Kofi, thank you for coming back. Hey, thank you for having me back. It's always good to be back. I just maximized my view and I, I don't know what I did here. I feel like I broke everything, but I'm here. Hi. You know, it's always, as you know, with the podcast, Comic Book Nation, Podcast X, everything's always a work in progress. So I'm sure it'll be fine in the end. So today, if you've been following the schedule that I've been trying to keep, this week's review will be of Argyle. There will be a brief non-spoiler discussion, and then Kofi and I will get into the full spoilers of the wackiness that was brought to us again by Matthew Vaughn. So if you are spoiler hesitant, you don't have to listen to that part. Time codes will be listed in the description, but let's waste no more time and jump into non-spoiler general impressions of Argyle. I certainly hope you dance as well as you dress. There's only one way to find out. Kofi, why don't you start us off? Okay, so um, just as a matter of context these days, I try to go into movies with as little knowledge as possible. I try to avoid trailers. Um, Wasn't much of a problem in this case since the whole marketing angle for Argyle was like, don't tell anybody the secret. Don't don't you want to know what the reveal is? Like, it was, that was the whole thing for them. So, it was fairly easy to stay uninformed because they wanted you to be uninformed. Um, I think, overall, I think I tweeted that this was the kind of weirdest blend of pastiche of styles and genre that we've seen yet from Matthew Vaughn, who always kind of delights in doing that in, like, Every one of his films is several films at once. It's like a love story, a crime heist story, a superhero story. I mean, First Class is so many things, like uh, with the whole Magneto 007 kind of thing he made for that storyline. And then, you know, Magneto's whole arc in that versus the whole standard superhero thing. Then the geopolitics and like all this stuff. It's all this these different movies kind of combined into one Um, And so Argyle is the most eclectic mix of that in the weirdest way yet. It's a lot of different beats. It's a lot of different tones, like even minute to minute, like where it could be super violent and then super kind of romantic rom-commy and then super action-y and then super dark and like like violent and too much for kids. So it's a weird blend, but um, it's kind of like with Vaughn, he always does make an entire film you know what i mean like it's a journey there's a story there's a beginning middle and end there's an arc to the characters um this one feels like the longest i think uh right up there with maybe the king's man which was his last film uh which was also pretty lengthy and and had a lot of dramatic twists and turns to it but uh argyle is just weird that way and so it's hard to talk about without getting into the spoilers obviously but um I didn't hate it. I didn't love it, and I didn't hate it. I think I came away telling people, like, this will be fun when it's on streaming. And you're like, all right, let me just see what this movie with a cat was all about. And you pop it in, and it's one of those things, like, you could watch it home on streaming, and 
it won't matter that it goes to all the weird places it does and you know all that if it feels long and you can pause it to get up and do something and come back to it later like you're not going to be mad at that and so like i think that's what i came away feeling and um i think a lot of people i haven't been following the discourse this weekend but from what little i've seen is people have just been like yeah man that was weird there were some unevenness to it but like i didn't hate it but i didn't love it like and people are just kind of like huh but that was just my take uh how did you feel i i think it's an interesting place to be particularly with well so this was produced by apple tv so that's sort of affected my entrance into these films in terms of streaming in general like with the amount of content and i hate using that word but to some degree that's how we we have to describe the things we watch and I'll give credit because I did see the previous Apple TV film with Napoleon. These movies with Argyle included don't look like made for streaming movies, which I commend both of the directors and cinematographers because I'd be very curious what this is going to look like once I eventually watch it on whatever. It could be my phone. It could be a TV. I like Matthew Vaughn. And so I had seen the marketing for this, it being around a significant twist. But as you said, I've enjoyed Matthew's work with twisting the expected into the unexpected. And he definitely has a flair for the dramatic and without it sounding like a criticism, he always makes fun popcorn movies and really pushes the envelope, particularly with the Kingsman franchise. And what this offered is I think in that similar vein, but at the same time, one aspect that this film doesn't have that the Kingsman trilogy not trilogy but three films has offered is out out and out like significant violence this is i'm fairly certain pg-13 just based on watching it it doesn't have the gore that the other films have offered so in general it works for i think the more general audience that way where you're not going to be grossed out by somebody getting their face cut off like you would see in Kingsman or somebody cut in half. And so it offers a different variety of action that I was thoroughly enjoying. Each of the major set pieces I think is unique. There is one I think you could have cut that certainly would have affected the length you talked about. It's zany and it's wild. And I really liked what he's continued to do in all of his spy films. And even if you go back all the way to Kick-Ass with casting somebody who was not known for being an action star with Aaron Taylor Johnson all the way back, what was that, 2010, when the first Kick-Ass came out? And then... Yeah, I believe it was somewhere around Right? There. Having Colin Firth in the Kingsman movies and then Ray Fiennes in the Kingsman. And then well, Henry Cavill as the showcase as Agent Argyle. But Bryce Dallas Howard and Sam Rockwell, they definitely hit those rom-com notes you mentioned. But at the same time, seeing Sam Rockwell as kind of like your dad as a spy, like in general, I thought was quite funny. And the comedy worked really well for me. The person I saw this with, who I typically see most films with, we were saying in the last six months, this is probably the most fun we've had in the theater and that it's far from perfect, but it's and I've heard you guys say this. I credit Screen Rant Underground, all the podcasts that you guys have worked on. So I'm always the the general audience, maybe more informed perspective. But 
it feels like looking at the critical reception to this that and I I believe I've heard you say this, but if I haven't, correct me if I'm wrong, that like critics get in circles and then a sentiment seems to be passed on amongst those. And just in the reception to Matthew's films in general, it feels like ever since King, the first Kingsman, that everything else he's been involved with has received significant negative reception, which I find really interesting because I don't see significant strides from this from the Kingsman or Kingsman Golden Circle, which certainly didn't re receive nearly as much positive acolytes or accolades, sorry, from critics, because I enjoyed those. I think Argyle is probably better than those, but I don't see it as a massive drop off from Kingsman or a massive improvement from Kingsman or Golden Circle. Yeah, I see that. Yeah, I don't. I don't think, yeah, I think it's a little bit, I think the difference between, I think Golden Circle is still up there. I think it was just a drop off from the first Kingsman that we didn't expect. Mm -hmm. And at that time, I feel like Vaughn was also firing on so many cylinders that people never expected a drop off from him at all. It was like he could do no wrong at that point. Um, but I, I think the Kingsman was just a victim of being a mix of too many genres. Like, I don't think you can mix a war drama, uh, like a war drama in a family drama with like an action movie franchise prequel when the subsequent movies are so much different in tone than those, than that prequel was. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think everybody just got in there and was like, I did not expect like a world war one historical drama. Like this is kind of getting weird. Uh, and then you had like what's his name as Rasputin and everything and like yeah oh Resifons yeah yeah uh, yeah yeah so like yeah that was also again it's a weird mix of things but like he's just getting kind of eclectic with the genre blends and this one is very much that 2010s kind of like Tom Cruise Cameron Diaz night and day or like Mr. and Mrs. Smith, like this is from the 2000s into about 2010, really. There was this fascination with doing like rom-com spy movies and like doing that whole line as a counter to like the Bond stuff. But um, yeah, or yeah, or even like weird kind of blue collar versions. Like one I really love is The Mexican with Brad Pitt and Julia Roberts. Like that whole, mm -hmm. that movie is crazy. Like, uh, and um, who's the late Tony Soprano, uh, James Gandolfini in that one, who's like really great. Um, but like, yeah, there, so there's a little bit of that in this. And I think this is better than The Kingsman just because The Kingsman, even though that was a bigger production with the period pieceness and all that. But I think this is a more entertaining film than that. But yeah, I, I don't think it's like leaps and bounds better and like, oh, this is going to make everybody think Matthew Vaughn is back and like back at the heights, like where everybody thinks he's bulletproof. But like, I think a lot of people are going to see this on streaming and there's going to be a lot that they're charmed by uh, people like Bryce Dallas Howard, people like Sam Rockwell, people like a cat, like that alone <laughs> is going to make people see this on streaming and be like, Oh, did you see that movie? And that's where you're going to want to lose your mind probably is like, 
in a month or two when people see this on streaming and then the cat becomes like a whole thing over again and we're like oh my god i thought we were done with the cat and like no tiktok is now obsessed with the cat and like we got to see all kinds of tiktoks so we're gonna get see everybody with cat, cat in their stuff. backpack cat backpacks are gonna or be trying to drop everywhere. cats off yeah yeah, yeah cat true. drops or the new tiktok trend yeah well yeah, i find weird it... cat drops <laughs> you know i th- no go it's... ahead i'm sorry go ahead no that's all right one of the ice I had a listener talk about the way that I've kind of discussed, not reviews sound because it's far, far, it's far from professional as possible. But in terms of looking at the film on its own merits, that's always something I'm trying to do. And when you, I think the way, the eloquent way that you describe the Kingsman is a perfect encapsulation of what that film was trying to offer. And it's sort certainly being a really interesting smorgasbord of all those things. And Kingsman came at the first Kingsman secret service came at a really interesting time when the bond films could not have been further from the classic sixties era, right? The Sean Connery era of that, where everything was mahogany and obviously let's not go back and dissect the way that he treats women. Cause that certainly would not hold up to today by today's standards, but having all the fun gadgets and a, over-the-top villain played by Sam Jackson. And I think it really struck a nerve with people and not to get too uh, off the tracks here, but like that being something I think a lot of people are looking for in the reboot of James Bond, we will eventually get from the Broccoli's and MGM, who's, I guess, Amazon, but that's not really the point. And Argyle being a pure popcorn entertainment film that... I know we can't really discuss, and I think once I'm once we're kind of done this general discussion, we can get into spoilers and the the specific areas of spy films that it addresses. For my mind, it really worked on again spinning those ideas on their head and presenting these ideas in a new and fun way. It's ironic. Uh, this is another tangent, so I apologize. But my kids were watching Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs today, and it's in my. For me, it's the same thing that Lord and Miller have always brought to their productions, where you're taking a lot of things we're familiar with, you get a good cast around the idea, and then you just have fun with that. And if you can sit and just be in, find entertainment and enjoy the spectacle of the action or the rom-com comedy that we get, again, it's comedy twice in this film, I think it offers those things. You mentioned the length. It is the second longest, or it is the longest film I believe he's ever made coming in at 139 minutes. So it's even longer than the Kingsman and Kingsman, the apostrophe it's important and the space. And so once we get into spoilers, there's one key action sequence that I think if you edit that out of this film, it's a much tighter movie and What I'm really curious about is what's the separation where we're we're seeing this movie, but a lot of people are saying like, this is just, I saw a review in CBC, which is one of, is the Canadian broadcasting channel that said, you're better off staring at your phone in the theater than watching Argyle. Like, I don't know if he was watching it through somebody else's phone, but I was baffled by that criticism. Yeah. Yeah, people are getting wild with comments like that. There's, there's been, there's stuff like I've heard about that. There were some pretty wild ones about Zone of Interest that, like, I heard, and I was just like, yeah, people are just. And there's also, but you know what? 
I don't want to go on too much of a tangent, but I feel like that's this new trend. I think we're in like fifth generation entertainment pundit thing where like people are now you get this whole wave of people in podcasts or people doing reviews and it's like oh i shouldn't even be bothered to be doing this job while i'm looking at this content and it's just like guys if people i'm just gonna put this out here if i ever hear anybody like in my orbit talking like that like and you're involved with my podcast like i'm probably gonna look to get you fired like (laughs) what we do is so like you're lucky to do what we do like as somebody who remembers what it was to grind to even make this possible like it, it's what we get to do is so we're we're fortunate to do it and whether you're doing it part-time whether you're doing it full-time like to sit down and just be able to make creative content out of the things you love to watch and or even the things you don't love to watch it, it, it's it's a very big thing so like saying that kind of stuff and saying that about other people's hard creative work is just it's ridiculous and it's kind of disrespectful like say look at our guy i'll say what you don't like about it that's the job it's it's more important sometimes to be a voice of breaking down in a sensible way what what's wrong with it what it, what you don't like how it doesn't fit with like whatever you need from a film or whatever so that's kind of ridiculous but like yeah but it's not that again in we we've talked about twitter you know film twitter and how that came about and what people like to do and that's why I like kind of being in Nashville now. I like kind of just controlling more. Like, I don't spend as much time on Twitter looking at everybody's reactions to things. I don't watch trailers or watch read reviews or even listen to other podcasts until I've done all my critical stuff because I just want to know what my opinion is and, and just keep that at the forefront. And my opinion of this was like, oh, I don't know. It was, it was all right. I don't know. It was like kind of like that. And then having to spend a couple days sifting through that opinion. Like, that's that's the job. I don't need to come out and have a tweet ready to go that night. I mean, I did because I've been, you know, because I don't miss and I've done this a long time. But, like, I didn't have to. Um, and I don't think we should. So it's okay to also just be baffled and be like, this one's kind of a muddled thing. I don't know how I feel about that. Or, or I'd have to, like, see that a couple more times. That was kind of weird. I don't know if I liked it. I don't know if I hated it. But, like, I don't, I don't think it's anywhere near the level of being like i hate all of this unless you like hated it going in which you pretty much should know by now if you were going to hate this going that's because it's it's not a bait and switch by any means there's a mystery but yeah but even that it's not a bait and switch well let so i think i think that's a perfect springboard into so let's jump into spoilers so if you have not seen argyle and you do not want to be spoiled jump out now so you can find out what's coming up next week full spoilers for everything what's the big twist and i think that's a good just talking about the twist in general that's been having seen all the 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 tv spots and the trailers for this a good spot to jump into which is i am such a fan oh yeah what is it you do espionage what i really liked about the twist so full spoilers here we go it being that she had lost her memory amnesia and that she had been reprogrammed by I always mess up her name, uh, Catherine O'Hara and Brian Cranston having all, like a, it being an interesting flip of that Jason Bourne idea, right? With it and the way that Ellie Conway is processing her, what's the word? Repressed memories is in writing these novels because they are trying to figure out what she knows, the evil organization that she was quote unquote affiliated with. I thought was fun and 
Obviously, this is at some point going to be available on Apple TV+. Plus. I'm really looking forward to watching it now, knowing that is the twist because of the way that it's presented early on with Ellie seeing Argyle in place of Sam Rockwell. And the interesting dynamic that presents, particularly on that train fight sequence, them being so massively different in size and her seeing what she would picture if she was writing the books. Again, it offered stuff that we don't see. It's been a criticism of a lot of other massive blockbusters in terms of how the action is set up, whether there's good choreography and the time has been taken meticulously to craft the second unit direction. And outside of one that I just felt was extraneous at the time it happens in the movie, I thought all the major set pieces were super fun. And I go to a Matthew Vaughn film expecting that because that's what he has constantly delivered. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're not wrong about that. I'm not wrong about that at all. Um, I think that it's in the twist that I feel like I just kind of like felt like there was more being said that I needed to process. Right. Okay. And I don't know if I've given it like the brain power to kind of process it because there is a kind of whole message in there about kind of what we project, you know, the fantasy. And they touch on this very quickly in the beginning when Sam Rockwell's like, oh, I'm not what you pictured a, a spy to be, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you pictured all this thing. And he's talking about, like, sorry to disappoint you, but, like, it's really this being unremarkable is kind of the job. And, like, that's if you big, tall guy and you stand out. He's, like, when he's talking about why he loves the books and, like, what his one criticism is. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it is a kind of deconstruction of how we fantasize about these things and, and like what we imagine the image of strength and you know the paragon of like here's our ideal hero quote unquote or person like you know who can be this is is the Henry Cavills and they and they purposefully do a lot with people in imagery and stuff like that. Like somebody asked me how's John Cena in this? And I say it's not so much how John Cena is, it's that Matthew Vaughn is kind of picking people and using things that we don't think about. And, and there's a lot of this movie that plays upon the image of, of the ensemble that we, that we're using. Like the Henry Cavill in and of itself is a commentary because of who Henry Cavill's thought of big square jawed, you know, perfect kind of action hero, man. That's what the internet is always every action hero thing. Like Henry Cavill can do it. Like all that thing. The Witcher, Captain Britain, Howard, James Bond. Yeah. Superman. Yeah, everything. Uh, exactly. So everybody thinks of and projects that that's what it should be. Um, but Bryce Dallas Howard is always looked at as like, oh, sweet shucks. Mount. Like the the ideal person that she is in this movie is what we think of Bryce Dallas Howard being. But she's also a producer. Oh, I'm sorry. Are we allowed to curse? I, was, I just cursed. It's I, all right. So I've already decided that if, if you curse, it's too. okay. I'm going to edit it with the cat meowing from the film. So it's fine. <laughs> oh no, that's okay. I, I just I usually I'm so good about comic book nation rules. Uh, we don't curse. So, well, it's because uh, it's it's, you're not surrounded I by just, your awesome she's... set. That's what it is. It's all right. No, it, it's not even as that. It's just because I was just getting real passionate about this. But no, but I mean, 
That lady's like a producer. She's super smart. She's super talented. Like she, she has a lot going on besides this like, kind of like all shucks, you know, thinking she's like sweet, docile image. And there might be a lot of Hollywood stuff we don't know about in that. But like, I don't think it's a mistake that she's picked and presented for this, in this film. And you know, when we find out about her other side, like yeah, that's also Bryce Dallas Howard is also somebody who's savvy and sharp and can be mean and can be all these things too um if she wanted to be uh same with sam rockwell like you know guy who there's a i mean there is probably a whole joke in here about he did play a nazi walkwell yeah but like not getting those roles right because that's not what we think of a spy looking like is sam rockwell like that's he does he probably doesn't get roles like that even though he's probably tried a million times and so i think in those two leads there is a very maybe Hollywood-centric, but, like, a very meta joke in this movie about, you know, what we see and what we project and, and, and like, how we think about it and who we can be and how we what who we allow ourselves to be. Because a lot of this movie is her, it's them trying to work her up because she can't handle the idea that, or allow herself to be this other person, like, that she is, or, or to imagine that she would be this dynamic and, and this thing is she never does it's only when the muscle memory actually comes alive for her that she's like oh oh right like oh, i see i i it's irrefutable that i am this person so i think there's a whole message in there but like again there's a lot of there's so much other weird stuff that happens in this movie that kind of like throws you away and it doesn't necessarily hammer that message home to you um but there is they do a lot of funny things with image in this movie just like Brian Cranston and Catherine O'Hara, another prime example, right? Like, people who are so good about being these all-shucks parent figures that we've seen in Malcolm in the Middle or uh, or Home Alone. Shit's Creek. But also, like, Brian O'Hara, Shit's Creek, like, yeah. But also Brian Cranston, but also them, but I was going to use them as saying, like, we also know they have this duality where they can play these kind of not-so-great people. Uh, Beetlejuice, Shit's Creek, uh, Breaking Bad, uh, if you want to go to back to Total Recall, go for it. Uh, for Brian Cranston as a villain, <laughs> uh, was he villain? I believe he was the villain. Yeah, he was. Yeah, 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 he was. They flipped it. Um, so, like, again, these are so they play with this idea of imagery and what we associate with. And I and I didn't finish my thought about the John Cena thing earlier, but John Cena being this like muscle bound guy and being who he is, is is played perfectly in this because it turns out he, you know, John Cena is really Sam Rockwell in, in the quote unquote real world of mm-hmm. this film. Uh, he's, he's a uh, Sam Rockwell is the John Cena. And that's what it really looks like when you have your assistant helper spy guy. Um, when he's the so tech guy turning well. out to be like, yeah, right. He's the computer guy. Yep. And so like, yeah, yeah. He's a computer guy. And like, yeah, it's just a, it's so it's a good movie about, that kind of image what we think about self-image and like outward image and all that but um it's not too powerful on getting that message across but it's not too powerful on doing anything it's just non-offensive really it's just kind of like like you said it's a good popcorn story time so yeah well you know i don't i'm never gonna get like too upset about it yeah i think it no go ahead i'm sorry that's all right it offers enough in the story it's trying to tell obviously i think it there is a it's the irony to me is talking about like the and you're absolutely right presenting that image on what 
general audiences or book readers, whether that include that even like graphic novel readers picture in their minds for casting in these lead roles. And what I really liked about Argyle is it's not just with Henry Cavill because the film even presents this to this at the very end where we get, obviously we learn that Argyle is Rachel Argyle, who is um, Bryce Dallas Howard. But at the same time, we get Dua Lipa as the lead femme fatale in the beginning of the film with Henry Cavill. And both of them are portrayed to some degree by Sam Rockwell. And then we see Bryce Dallas Howard in the same outfit in the conclusion of the film, which I think is really interesting. And this goes in line with who Matthew Vaughn has cast in his other franchises, right? As I mentioned in the non-spoilers, you had Aaron Taylor Johnson in Kick-Ass, Taron Edgerton being a young spy, probably less so goes against the grain of what audiences would expect, but Colin Firth, Rice Fons, like it seems to be a continual thing he's doing. And what I find interesting about playing on that idea that audiences have around casting and the, the ideal image it doesn't go nearly as deep in it, but it to me, I found interesting connections to something like Barbie, which obviously had significantly more to say and had much more focus on different aspects of that, where it's, you had stereotypical Barbie and Henry Cavill being presented as the stereotypical action hero and then Dua Lipa as the stereotypical femme fatale and getting, as you said, people who probably weren't going to get cast in these roles now as the leads does it say as much as other films would? No, but I like that that is played in this movie. This easily could have just been, and I think by probably lesser screenwriter and director, it would have been Henry Cavill and Dua Lipa just in a fun early 2000s action thriller that didn't, or not action, but action comedy that didn't offer anything interesting, but that even as you said, I, I agree with you. I don't think I fully grasped exactly everything it's trying to say, but on the outset, I'd enjoyed it had something to say while still managing to, to strike that entertainment chord. Because at the end of the day, for me, I'm going to see a Matthew Vaughn film. I want that entertainment. I don't need it to necessarily be a full two hour think piece because that's typically not what he's offered, but playing with genre trends and casting actors outside of those roles that Hollywood typically would cast. I like that. That seems to be a constant with him and I hope he keeps doing it. Yeah. Um, Barbie came to mind when I actually saw this movie. So did poor things. And just in terms of, you know, three very different movies, very different, but like this theme of like this kind of the current theme of this female awakening that we're kind of seeing in the past year, um, women kind of really coming into self-realization about both, you know, the insanity of their place in the world and what they want from it and their own power and, and you know, in their own empowered nature and, and things like that and how to do that is kind of a running theme that we've really been seeing in, in, in media, not just in film. You know, the Taylor, the Grammys are on right now as we're recording this and the Taylor Swift of it all. Um, that's all very real. And so this movie does really, again, like I said, it's from a, a male director in a wrapped in a spy action comedy mystery. So I don't think it's as hard hitting or, or 
obvious to us initially what it is, but there definitely is a message about, you know, L.A. Conway and Bryce Dallas Howard and, and this also literal kind of awakening in this movie to her and who she really is and her own potential and power as as a woman and a female agent. And, um, yeah, there are some... Uh, pretty absurd ways that Vaughn likes to express that, that power. Uh, uh, not since Kill Bill have we seen something, I think, as absurd as that ice skating scene. That's the scene uh, I would have cut. Kill Bill, probably, like, the house. Yeah. I think, well, in just yeah, in terms was, of structure, uh, it feels like too much, especially with the one-on-one. Like, my brain kept comparing it to, I apologize, uh, the, like, the structure of Kingsman. And where you have the heads blowing up sequence at the end of Kingsman being like the big spectacle. And of course, we get that with the dance fighting in all the green smoke. And some of that is shown in the trailer, which... See... Oh, no, I was going to say, that's the one I would have cut. Oh, interesting. I would have... Okay. Yeah, that's what I thought you were going with, too. But that's the one I would have cut. Yeah. That's the point where I just, like... Got up and I was just like looking around. I was like, I might go to the bathroom. Like, this is getting nuts. Like, it's just like, it's just so over the top. I was just like, oh man, I don't know if I could do this. So I was like, oh boy, you're losing me. But finally it was over. So that was good. But um, no, go ahead. Why, why would you cut the ice skating when I'm, well, I'm I just like more about this? In parallels to Kingsman. So like with the head exploding, the obviously the vibrance of the color being very similar to the confetti coming out of people's heads because that probably would have made it NC-17 if we had seen everybody's heads exploding all the time. Uh, And then with Kingsman, we had the fight with Giselle. And then that was the end of it, right? With with Eggsy. And then in this, if you would... I like the ice... So this is probably a Canadian thing. And I mean, you're from Philly. I'm... I don't know what your ice skating history is. But like, for me, it was a bridge too far to... Stab, stab blades into your feet and go skating Batman and Robin style. That's what, at least for me, it was like I was having flashbacks to movie nom with the Batman and Robin opening with Mr. Freeze and how that played up where they're skating on oil. And the fact that if you're still skating on something that's supposed to be metallic, no sparks were created. That's the reason they don't use any guns in that set piece. And then you have another action set piece or yeah, on the top of the the tanker with a fight between Rockwell and Bryce Dallas Howard, like a one on one because she's been programmed with the little ice skating jewelry box. So for me, I was burnt out when we were going through the ice skating sequence. So by the time we got to the one on one, which I liked from a story standpoint, I felt we've had so much action. That's why I would have cut the ice skating sequence. Because I think you need the one-on-one. Well, I think this, the problem with this movie is that, and I told this to people, I was like, my brain logistically was like, okay, this movie is about to end about four different times. (laughs) So like, yeah, by the time we got, and I forget which order is, is the smoke one after the ice skating one or is that before the ice skating one? So they're in this, they find each other in the armory then we have the smoke fighting then they go to the server room they don't get the server or the fi- the master file the macguffin and then 
they wind mm-hmm. up in the oil tank because we have the henchman who really hasn't been flushed out as the the one henchman who was lis- or was at the book reading. He shows up and then yeah. right. they shoot and the oil gets flooded. Okay, so like right, so like yeah, about the time they found they found each other. I thought we were headed to the final fight. Then we did the smoke thing, and I was like, okay, good climax. Then there's gonna then they're gonna go find and like you know blow this place up, pop whoever they need to pop or whatever, and get out of here. Then it went on, and they were still in the base, and then it went on, you know, after the server room. That didn't happen. And I was like, oh, okay, so they, they didn't get the objective. We're still going to go with this. And then we went to the oil room, and then we did that whole sequence, and I was like, okay. Like, you know, I was like, by the end of that, I was just like, wow, that was even more over the top because, again, yeah. Now, I lived across from an ice skating rink um, across the creek, actually, and they stored all their snow year-round in a creek to keep it cold. Anyway... Yeah, my friend used to drive the Zamboni every morning there. So uh, uh, when she put those in her feet, I my first thought was, wow, she's really going to break her ankles. Like, <laughs> this is not going to end well for your ankles, like, whatsoever. I was like, that's got to hurt so bad. But, um, yeah, but when that whole sequence was done, I was just like, yeah, we are so over the top. I was like, surely we are just going to kill all the rest of people with a couple gunshots and we're out of here. Mm-hmm. And then it goes on and on and on, like, yeah, until outside. And then even that end thing with Catherine O'Hara doing the get out sunken place thing, like, <laughs> you know, with the music box. And I was just like, please, for the love of God, by the fifth time Sam Rockwell got slammed, I was like, and that's where it lost me. I mean, that was just such a, like, I get it, showing the dedicated love, but I was like, guys, we didn't lean enough into the rom comedy of this to, like, really be taking it this far. It was just too much. And I was just kind of like, get me out of here by then. And by the time that part ended, I nearly missed the post-credit scene because I was, like, so fast getting out of the theater. And it was actually the publicist was like, I think you should go back in. I think there's something. And I was like, oh, oh. And I, like, came in right as that, like, hit the actual interesting point of, like, that whole post credit scene. <laughs> but, like, yeah, it was just so long to get out of there. Like, we had to go through every stage of the game and kill every last person who ever even looked at these people wrong by the end, right? Mm-hmm. Like you said, the henchmen getting in a whole sequence, like, that was unnecessary. Like, mm-hmm. and, and frankly, like... I think it's where, and I know Matthew Vaughn likes to get crazy, but it's where the film kind of threw me out because it didn't look so great in some of those sequences. Like there's some, the, the smoke sequence didn't look great to me because it was just, I feel like the smoke was a cop-out on effects. It's like, oh, we can't do what the John Wick 4 stunt team did quite, so we're just going to put a bunch of smoke up. So there's no real coherence or you have to follow. It's just kind of like point, shoot, and whatever. We can fill in the rest and post and... The ice skating one was more ambitious, but it then at points it just looked terrible, right? Mm-hmm. Like I was just like, yeah, that doesn't look right at all. Or it just looks like clearly a stunt performer. There was just so many shots that was clearly a stunt performer. It was just like, this is nuts. Well, that's where I why um, I would cut it. Because one of the avenues, or aspects, sorry, avenue, that's a wrong word. Aspects I appreciated was whenever he can use the actual actor, obviously there's instances, as you mentioned, Sam Rockwell getting thrown to the ground. That's not him. But when it's ice skating double for 10 minutes, it's like we, this is for me, it's, it's taking away from, I'm assuming what some of the message is supposed to be, which is like Bryce Dallas Howard, 
being this person you don't expect to be the super spy. Same thing with Sam Rockwell, as we've discussed. When you have to have used a double and it's a face replacement. Like, it's not a, a fight scene in a bar where you undercranked and then cranked it back up so Colin Firth looked like he could destroy, like, ten drunken guys in a in a small pub. So, yeah, it definitely, it gets over the top and it just, I think it the escalation is probably more out of control than we've typically had. Yeah, I mentioned that, like, somebody just let Vaughn go kind of, like, wilder with a budget than ever before. And I guess that's just with that Apple money coming in. But they were like, yeah, yeah, no, go nuts. Like, yeah, <laughs> didn't know he was just probably like, oh, good. But, um, yeah, it's it's just, it's one of those things where I think I'm going to have to see it again and see it a couple times and really be able to process, like, what it is and just, like, how I feel about it. But, like... For me, it's just going to be this right now. It just is just kind of the middle of the road. Like it was, but it was an entertaining time at the movies. And like you said, it was a story. Mm-hmm. Okay. So uh, in, in kind of wrapping that up, I, I really briefly, I was curious because I was having this conversation with friends out of the spy films. So that being Kingsman, I mean, if we, uh, yeah, Kingsman, Secret Service, Golden Circle, Kingsman and Argyle. How would you rank them from most favorite to least favorite? So out of the four. I would rank, I mean, Kingsman, the Secret Service is clearly number one, I think. I think Golden Circle is still number two. I think Argyle is number three. And I think the King's Man is number four. Okay. I would do it Secret Service, King's Man, I think I'd probably go Argyle than Golden Circle. I really liked The King's Man. I think it, I I enjoyed the World War. It was like James Bond in 1917 had a baby and that doesn't work necessarily to its best potential, but I I enjoyed the the more dated elements of it. And it has Jaimon Hansu, so can't go wrong with Jaimon Hansu in every major franchise. No, the cast is, <laughs> a, no, Gemma Adderton, like, uh, yep. like there's, there were, I liked all the characters in that. I just thought, like, again, the world, the drama of the World War One drama, like, and even doing that history, I thought it was just so mismatched in tone. Like, jumping from, like, serious London politics that were obviously very important to Matthew Vaughn to, like, Eyes, Eyes, uh, Reza Fonz, like, doing, you know, the whole Russian, uh, I forget, the Rasputin thing mm-hmm. in the next scene. It was just like, what are we doing here? Like, I, I don't know what's happening to me in this movie. And I also think I saw it at just, like, a weird time. But, like, yeah, I, that's just the one I, I've enjoyed the least. So That's fair. Okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm happy with my ranking. All right. You're looking forward to me tweeting your, act, your ranking at you later on. Um so that will do it for spoilers for Argyle. If you want to go see it in theaters, I think Kofi and I have said enough that if it's something that interests you, it's probably worth the theatrical experience. And then at some future date, it'll be available on Apple TV Plus if you have that streaming platform. Next week's episode will be of Mr. and Mrs. Smith, the Amazon show. I thought only the first episode came out today. Turns out they dropped everything. So I haven't had an opportunity to watch everything. So 
I look forward to re reviewing that because to my knowledge, there is no major release of anything else next week. And then answering the question of the week and Kofi, if you would like to chime in as well, I'd love to hear what you have to say, which was based on the success of Reacher. Now, this isn't specifically because Reacher was an 80s, but this was the question. What iconic 80s action star would you like to see get as a TV reboot? Uh, one of the questions or comments was from Scotty Cameron. He said he'd like to see a G.I. Joe take similar to Masters of the Universe Revelation slash Revolution or something like Transformers with a more gritty take. OK, and then Stephanie said not 80s, but Bonnie and Clyde. OK, interestingly enough. So is there an action icon, Kofi, that you think would work in a television platform better than probably their movies? Um, they've tried to do it before, but, uh, I, I mean, first of all, if you are not reading the current Energon universe run of comic books with that has GI Joe and Transformers in one universe, um, these comics are much grittier, they're darker, they're violent. Uh, the Transformers run by, uh, uh what's his name? Daniel Warren Johnson's Transformers run right now mm -hmm. is out of, it's just like one of the best Transformers run I've seen in years. Um, it, it, it approaches it with a semi sci-fi horror bend of the fact that if giant machines could hide as vehicles and transformed in their interacting with humans, there'd be a lot more squished humans. <laughs> um, and, and, and they do. And like when Starscream or somebody goes up against, the transformer or against the humans. Like it's just an, I mean, it's a massacre mm -hmm. and uh, it's, it's horrific. And the first issue is really great. It's how they get into the transformers coming to earth. And that whole familiar G one lore is nuts. It's one of the most nuts setups I've ever seen. Uh, just to tease you with it. It's all the transformers got depowered in the middle of a fight and they're brought back online, but they're brought back online one at a time. And so you have this incredible, incredible close quarters high stakes battle that takes place inside of uh their ship in the first issue like the arc as you find out who gets back online and so yeah they're all on the arc cool. but they're all frozen in place and so as teletron one comes back online they're slowly all being rebooted but at different speeds and so each decepticon and transformer or, or autobot comes on at different speeds and it's like this horrific shootout where half the people are frozen, like that scene in Logan, like where half the people are frozen and just getting their brains blown out because one like wakes up and is like, oh, wait, oh, you can't move? Cool. <laughs> and like, yeah, and uh, and like Spike and another human are stuck in the middle of this. And so it's a fantastic run. I know that's a big detour, but uh, check that out. So. There's already so much great ground for an adaptation like Masters of the Universe Revelation if they just do the entire Energon universe because G.I. Joe is also in this universe. And mm -hmm. so when Transformers start showing up, you know, there's only one level of military to deal with that, really. And mm -hmm. so that becomes a whole thing. Yeah. Um, and it's excellent stuff. There's excellent stuff. Uh, for me, I think we've gotten to the point, and they've done it before, but I think the game has changed now, obviously. And we can make it a lot of fun to do Knight Rider again. That is a good um, one. Somebody who's carrying out secret secret missions in a smart car that can do all kinds of stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, obviously, we're a different place automotively than in the 2000s when people tried to do this concept again. Like now it actually, 
you know, <laughs> you take a Cybertruck concept or something like that and you kind of have fun with it. And, you know, because now there's a whole world of not just Kit. It's not just Kit. You know, Kit would have a lot of competition and that could get really interesting. So I would love to see that. That's cool. I hadn't thought about Knight Rider. Okay. That's awesome. And if it's a, like, oh, it's just a lot of season. AI, like if it's it begins to get an AI upgrade, like all this kind of stuff. You have subplots on subplots. It'd be great. That's really cool. Well, is uh, was Knight Rider on CBS? I think so, yeah. So there you go. It all blends together. Paramount. Or is it, it's either that or it's either that or NBC. Which one? Uh, no, that's the video game. Where was Knight Rider? Knight Rider was on NBC. It was on NBC. Okay, I knew it was. I thought one I day maybe on NBC. Peacock. All right. Well, Kofi, thank you oh, so Peacock. much. Peacock. Go ahead. Peacock, I mean, they got Twisted Metal. I mean, I know I was going to say Peacock's got Twisted Metal. Might as well flex out their gearhead section and do Knight Rider reboot. And eventually the community movie, which I'm very much looking forward to. Okay, Kofi, thank you so much for coming back on the show. Uh, Thank you for spending time to talk about Argyle. Kofi, you're on Twitter. You're on comicbook.com. You're at Comic Book Nation and special guest on Podcast X. I like to consider you a special guest here as well. You're welcome back anytime. Oh, thank you. Thank you. It's always good to be back on the film realists. Oh, and I, I can tell you now in person, thank you for the shout out on Comic Book Nation, the reminder to talk about Star Trek Strange New World Season 2. <laughs> so, oh, and- yeah. No problem. <laughs> Anything to spark further discussion on the content, the television and movies that we love. That's why I'm here sharing it with all of the listeners and why Kofi is here as well. Thank you so much for listening to the Film Realist Podcast. As I said the beginning of the outro i will be back next week with a review of mr and mrs smith the television reboot and then in the following week a continuation of the spum universe with madam webb thank you for listening we'll see you next time